Welcome to Baines Explains, your guide to navigating the tricky issues facing businesses today. I'm your host, Julian Whittle. Each episode, I will be chatting to specialists from Baines Wilson to find out more about the legal topics that will affect your business. If you find this episode helpful, you might be interested in our employment law seminars that will take place on March 29th and 31st. In this episode, Baines explains mental health in the workplace. Hello, I'm here with Tom Scaife, an employment partner at Baines Wilson, to talk about one of the hottest topics of the moment, and that's mental health in the workplace. Tom, this this was an issue for employers long before COVID-19. I've seen some quite eye-watering figures suggesting that mental health problems are responsible for something like 70 million lost working days each year, uh, with a total cost to business of around 2.4 billion a year. And, and one in four of us, I think, is expected to, to have some sort of mental ill health uh, at, at one point in, in our lives. So it has been a long-standing issue, but there's a widely held view that the pandemic has made matters worse. Is that right? And how has COVID-19 affected people's mental health? Yeah, thanks, Julian. I think uh, you're right in that mental health and um, both the absences that that causes and also the, the general effect on the workplace is significant. I mean, those those stats are right. I'm sure they're right. Um, you know, most businesses won't, you know, won't see it in that context. They'll just see the direct impact on them. Uh, it's overtaken um, musculoskeletal issues as the biggest cause of absence in the workplace, even before COVID, as you say. And if you add in the uncertainty, worries about health, worries about jobs, uh, worries about loved ones, isolation, uh, I think COVID has undoubtedly created this kind of cauldron, if you like, whereby uh, everybody's mental health has been brought into sharp focus. And that has had a, a significant impact on uh, people's workplaces, people's working lives um, and uh, your productivity uh, and mm-hmm. people's motivation, I think, is a, is a big issue as well. So in general terms, how, how have employers reacted to this? I think on the whole, most employers throughout the entirety of the pandemic have reacted really well when it comes to mental health. And certainly most of the employers that, that we deal with as clients have upped their game. You know, they've, they've started really focusing in on the, the mental health of their employees and also looking at ways that they can support them. So it's not just it's not just a case of putting your arm around someone's shoulder in the office, partly because you can't do that from two metres <laughs> <meters, two> <laughs> away. True um, so employers have had to come up with mechanisms to, to have touch points with their employees, make sure that they're still keeping those communication channels open, uh, really kind of drill down into how can we go about checking in on our employees on a fairly frequent basis that doesn't mean you're being in the office having having a, a visibility on them. But funnily enough, uh, one thing you mentioned was, was absence days. And it's anecdotal that I have statistics for this, but 
certainly a lot of the clients that we deal with and ones that we spoke to at our seminars that we ran said that they'd seen their absence rates drop off a cliff throughout COVID, as in significantly lower absence rates. Is that because people were working from home? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're faced with, um, for a lot of people, well, I can call in sick Mm. and get SSP, um, or I can not call in sick and just muddle by because no one knows because I'm at home. Well, they're probably going to do the, the, the latter of those yeah. two. So there's quite... there's that, we've, we've had this weird situation where, yes, undoubtedly, people's mental health um, as a collective has suffered because of COVID, but absence rates have actually <laughs> improved. <laughs> oh, well, so that's one good thing. Uh, most employers would want to do the right thing by their staff anyway. But, but from a, an employer, employment lawyer's perspective, what are the duties on employers when it comes to mental health in the workplace? I think the, the important thing to acknowledge is that mental health um, or mental ill health is uh, it, it's a, a sickness, you know, it's a, a condition in the same way as any physical illness is. Um, it might not be as apparent, you know, it, immediately and so employers do need to have mechanisms in place which I'm sure we'll come on to soon about yeah, how they can identify it but in terms of dealing with it from a, a legal perspective you know at the outset they need to make sure that employees are you're notifying any absence in the same way that they they would any other yeah there can be a tendency with mental health issues for those um you know, mechanisms and procedures of phoning in, speaking to a line manager, explaining what's wrong, they can slip with mental health absences because employees may, they may go to ground, they may be reluctant to to pick up the phone, you might get uh, messages left with colleagues or emails or text messages and as hard as it is, there is a real value to employers actually uh, enforcing procedures that, that that require employees to pick up the phone and speak to their line manager. Uh, and if they do leave a message, it's important that line managers feel comfortable uh, phoning up the employee to check in on them and yeah. see if there's anything that, that they can do as an employer. But from that point onwards, you know, it's about it's about keeping in touch. It's about checking to see if there's anything that exists in the workplace that's causing the the mental ill health and you know in particular if either a a fit note or the employee themselves uh, suggests that it's work-related stress or it's it's clear that there might be an impact caused by work well employers will be well advised to to conduct some form of risk assessment um, whether it's a, a stress risk assessment that the health and safety executive have on their website for example or you know something that's more focused on their workplace that they they come up with themselves or you know, take advice on. It, it doesn't really matter. But the point of that is to try and see if any of those stressors or triggers for mental health issues can actually be eliminated by the employer. Can a mental health condition actually be deemed? A disability in the legal sense of that word, you know, as defined by the by the Equality Act, and and if so, what are the repercussions for employers? 
Uh, yeah, it absolutely can. Uh, so the Equality Act is clear that a disability is either a physical or mental impairment. Um, and just to not want to get too much into the law, but you know that physical or mental impairment has to have a substantial and long-term adverse effect on the employee's ability to um, carry out normal day-to-day activities. So yes, it can be a disability. An important point to know, and why it's difficult actually with mental health in particular is that it's not the condition that has to last for a year. So long-term in this context means it's lasted a year or it's likely to last for a year. But it's actually the, the, the adverse effect that has to last for a year. So that substantial adverse effect. And with mental health, you know, it can go up and down. Um, and the, the Equality Act does have provisions in it that actually um, enables employees who want to bring a claim to, to rely upon um, your recurring conditions. And mental health is probably one of those that could actually be in scope for that. So it's the impact, it's the severity. But if someone is you know, seriously affected by their mental health, such that you know they struggle to leave the house, they can't come to work, they find it difficult going to the shop, um, or difficult speaking to people, well, it's likely it will be substantial. You know, that, that adverse effect is substantial. Um, and employers in that context need to take first of all they need to look at whether there's any adjustments that they can take to eliminate any disadvantage caused to the um, employee and also they need to be careful either not to make decisions solely because of the 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 disability or if as can be the case um, an employer is looking at a capability dismissal well they need to make sure they get medical advice on the condition, they need to assess whether there is any prospect of matters improving. And they also need to look at those adjustments at that point and see if there's anything reasonably that they can do to avoid the employee either suffering a disadvantage or being dismissed in the in the worst cases. Right. And can you recommend, well, I think you mentioned the Health and Safety Executive website, but can you re- recommend any useful resources for employers, um, you know, information toolkits that they can find online? Uh, yeah, so the, the, the HSE website does have a, a, a significant volume of material on this subject. There's loads of others online. Um, Mind, uh, the charity, yeah. is a, a, a really good one. Um, there are other charities some employers will have uh, employee employee assistance programs uh, that might offer advice to that uh, might offer some free counseling sessions for example or guidance or advice um, there's organizations like access to work that can provide support and uh, assessments in terms of mental health CIPD mm-hmm. uh, ACAS I mean there is any any number of um, organisations that provide guidance uh, on online, and yeah, if, if employers just take the time to have a read around the subject, I think they'll, most of them will find it fairly enlightening if they haven't already done it. Do you think there's still a stigma around mental ill health, and if so, how can employers create a more supportive environment? Yeah, I think there is there is still a stigma 
I think that stigma is uh, fairly rapidly actually being eroded. I think the stigma probably arises from a, a, a misplaced perception that it's a sign of weakness, you know, to have yes. mental ill health. Um, yeah, if you fall off a bike and break your leg, well, yeah, it's sort of outside your control, whereas I think people see mental ill health as more within their control. But undoubtedly, you know, if those statistics are right that one in four of us will experience it at some point, well, it, it's sort of as much a, a, a product of the environment now that the world is, I think, mm. than, than anyone being responsible for it themselves. So, yes, there is because of that, but it is definitely improving. Um, I think the best way that employers can avoid that uh, it's sort of in your question, really. It's to create that supportive environment and to create a, a culture of openness. And in terms of doing that, you, that that starts with um, relationships between colleagues. Uh, it also expands to relationships with line managers. Mm-hmm. So your know, line, line managers need to be open to having these discussions, which aren't always easy. You know, if you've got an employee that you're laying their soul out and saying that they're really struggling with their mental health. That's a tough conversation for a line manager to have. But in a lot of cases, that um, that that release valve and that support mm. system and network actually can be the difference between um, it, it devolving into a worse situation where you maybe lose that employee yeah. for a significant period of time. But then it's also... You know, it goes up the it goes up the the chain. So those who are you know the owners of the business or the directors of the business, well, they need to be responsible for you promoting that culture as well. So beyond, if you like, having that open culture where employees can, can feel they can talk about these issues, how how can an employer support someone who is is perhaps experiencing a mental health issue? And, and what signs should employers be looking out for? Well, I think that comes down to education as well. So in terms of the, the warning signs, I think we've, we've probably seen quite a few of them that are maybe new throughout COVID. So one of the biggest, I think, features is burnout. I think far more people have, have been suffering from burnout and your classic signs of that are you know, an employee becoming withdrawn yeah, any any changes in behaviour are usually red flags and should be seen as red flags for employers. Um, irritability, you know, mm-hmm. slightly erratic erratic mm-hmm. behaviour, uh, changes in the way that they communicate with colleagues. All of those are absolute you know, bolt-on warning signs that an employee is probably starting to suffer from mental health issues, whether it be stress, whether it be their own expectations, whether it be COVID-related, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's about looking for those warning signs. And that's why COVID's made it more difficult because those warning signs are a lot easier to spot when you're sitting next to somebody and you're working alongside them five days a week. A lot of employers now have moved to hybrid working. So you might see someone three days a week or two days a week instead of five. So it's even more important now for both colleagues and line managers to use that time effectively and to understand how to monitor uh, staff and see those warning signs. 
And how should employers manage absence um, or, or time off and, and potentially a, a flexible working request from someone experiencing mental ill health? Okay, so I'll deal with those separately. So first of all, in terms of managing absence, the, the first the first part of that and the, the important bit, which we talked about before, is yeah, having that first touch point of line managers um, having the conversation when someone is first absent and understanding what the underlying cause is. Not everyone's going to be honest about that. Sometimes employees will say it's flu when it's serious mental ill health. There's nothing you can really do about that other than you know, try and get to the root of the problem. Um, thereafter, um, they'll continue to, to submit fit notes and I would say at about the month point, once someone's been off for a month, then that's when really the employer should, if not already, have had a, a face-to-face meeting with the employee if they've been absent for that, that long. Um, you're then into really long-term ill health management. And that means, again, keeping in touch with the employee, constantly reviewing whether there is anything that can be done to enable them to return, looking at what the barriers might be, can they work from home, for example, as, a, as an adjustment? Um, and it's also worthwhile, shortly after that point, getting some medical input on the employee. So a lot of employers will have access to occupational health providers. It's quite useful to get a, a relatively early uh, assessment on an employee's mental health and other health conditions. And the reason for that is, if we fast forward, ultimately, to say about the six-month point, you're probably getting to a a point there where it's highly unlikely that the employee is going to return. And statistics show that by that point, the the likelihood of them returning to work is fairly slim. Um, So at that point, again, you need to refresh your medical advice from occupational health or uh, in some cases, the employee's GP, uh, that that provides you with a good opportunity to compare what that says with what the earlier advice was. If it hasn't changed and there is no prospect of the employee returning and you meet with the employee, you talk through whether there's anything that can be done, whether any adjustments can be made, how they see you know, what their perception of any medical advice is and their own condition. Ultimately, if if it's unlikely they're going to be returning for any significant period of time, then uh, most employers in those circumstances will look to terminate their employment. And, and in terms of flexible, just uh, I'm not talking about somebody who's necessarily absent here, but, but somebody who simply requests flexible working because of a mental health issue, the, the onus is on the employer is it to be sympathetic to that. The onus is on the employer to, to deal with that request reasonably. Mm-hmm. So... Employees don't they don't need a reason to make a flexible working request. Uh, if they have a reason, such as mental ill health, then the employer one has to deal with it under the flexible working uh, rules, but also uh, you know, with half a mind on any disability discrimination claims. But in terms of dealing with the flexible working request, um, they have to organise to meet with the uh, employee. They have to uh, look at you know, the both the reasons the employee is giving and also the suggested change to their working pattern. It might be a request to work from home, it might be a request to work part-time. And 
Importantly, an employer is only permitted to refuse that request on one of eight statutory grounds. Uh, they include things like you know, an inability to um, reallocate the work amongst colleagues. Uh, you know, there's a, a concern that there'll be a detrimental impact upon the provision of the service to customers, for example. Uh, it can be quite easy for employers to shoehorn you know, a rejection into one of those reasons. Yeah. Um, but an employee can then make a claim that they've not dealt with the request reasonably and that really is at the discretion of a tribunal to consider whether an employer has. The compensation for it is not significant but importantly the tribunal can order the uh, employer to revisit that uh, request and also um, it, it doesn't necessarily go hand in glove but if an employment tribunal is finding that the employer hasn't dealt with the request reasonably, it may also be an indication that the employer might be failing in their um, obligation to, to make reasonable adjustments in relation yeah. to a disability, if it is a disability. I know an employer wants to be there, because it's bad for your reputation, but it's not going to help attract new employees. So is it is there anything employers can do to, to raise awareness of mental health issues at work? For example, would you recommend training for managers? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, there's a risk of sounding a bit like a broken record, but this is all about education. So this is part of breaking that stigma and providing training, providing resources uh, and access to those resources to not just senior managers but line managers and actually all employees it's not just about um, managers line managers colleagues spotting those warning signs yeah some of this is about employees looking inwardly and actually seeing these red flags themselves because it's a lot easier uh, if an employee can come forwards and seek yeah, some help before it's a significant problem, yeah. it, it's far more likely that you know, the crisis will be averted if there's intervention at an early stage compared to you know, once we get into those areas that nobody really wants to get involved in of long-term ill health management because the employee's gone to ground. So, yeah, I think training is, um, is a really important part of that, but I don't, I don't necessarily mean training in the, you know, chalk and talk PowerPoint you sent to the word I mean training as in education resources uh, and you're really looking at, at ed- educating the, the whole workforce on how to identify those red flags okay and is there evidence that the following good practice can actually reduce absentee- absenteeism levels and obviously following on from that reducing the, the cost to the employer yeah, undoubtedly. Um, the, the, there's, there's so much evidence out there that, that really the, the two aspects to this, you know, the first one, and it's a cliche, but you know, prevention is better than cure. Yeah. You know, so all those things we've just spoken about of early intervention undoubtedly have a massive impact on absence rates. And if, there's, if there is that supportive culture where employees can talk to either colleagues or managers about the issues so that they can be addressed and if there is anything work related they can be if not eliminated then certainly managed it's it's definitely going to impact upon absence rates and then the follow-on from that is 
if it results in absence and there is that proactive absence management whereby you know, there's early early intervention in terms of speaking to the employee when they first go off and also keeping in touch with them and not allowing the employee just to go to ground and forget about them, it is far more likely that they will uh, get the support to come back into the workplace. Um, and that's in part because the employee will feel like somebody is interested and, you know, and, and cares yeah. About, yeah. about their well-being and wants them back in to work importantly so yeah and all that will have a yeah that that will reduce costs um certainly in terms of uh, having to cover staff absences uh areas that are particularly affected by things like that care sector for example where you know there's a a huge reliance on agency and there's been a significant increase in absences because of mental ill health obviously because of you know, what everybody's been going through and and they've been at the, the front line on this so uh, yeah following those those tips openness um and proactive management will help and you know employers can look at things like putting in place mental health first aiders for example so that employees know that there is somebody that's had some level of training that they can go to in the event of a problem. I'm not saying that that's necessary. I think if everybody is um, educated and there's an open culture, I don't think those kind of things are strictly necessary. But there will be businesses where that is something that they want to put in place. consider, yeah. Right, is there anything else employers need to be aware of, Tom? We've more or less wound up. No, I don't think so, Julian. I think uh, I think we've we've covered the, the key we've points. Covered all bases. That's been great. Thanks very much, Tom. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of Baines Explains. You can find more information about the topic discussed today and sign up for regular alerts on changes to case law and legislation by visiting our website, www baneswilson.co.uk To keep up to date with what our team is up to, follow us on Twitter and on LinkedIn by searching Baines Wilson LLP. Don't forget to subscribe to Baines Explains and tune in next week for another episode.